beware spoiler phobes, you stumbled upon a storm of spoilers. And now, a lengthy introduction by this mute future Amish man. Well, I mean, he's Amish now, but he's also from the future. He won't be Amish in the future. Well, I guess he'll also be Amish in the future. Take it away. Welcome to a storm of spoilers off-season tour. My name is Davian Zalis, and my Warcraft name is Wolfmugger. My name is Joanna Robinson, but my Warcraft name is And I'm Neil Miller, and uh, my Warcraft name, because apparently I'm a demon, is Etzadula. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I know. I was practicing in my head. <laughs> uh, this week on Star Wars Spoilers, we will be looking at the cinematic oeuvre of Duncan Jones, uh, including a section about Mute, which is now available on Netflix, his newest movie. Um, but first, we're going to do our normal sections uh, that begins with Joanna reading reviews. Yeah. Hello. I'm ready. Hey, yeah. Reviews. Um... I'm gonna read this first one mostly because I want to take a crack at really doing the like the title of the of the review uh, justice. This is five star review from Kadavin. The title of it is "What are those?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I just wanted to drop in and say I love this podcast. I don't have friends that share quite my level of geekdom when it comes to Game of Thrones and comic book lore, so I sincerely appreciate nodding my head in agreement or yelling at your foolish foolish takes as I drive. Joanna, you rock and are my pop cultural touchstone. I read your VF stuff avidly. Dave and Neil, you guys are okay too. You know it would be cool. A crossover podcast with binge mode, Mallory and Jason. Uh, you can do a debate sound, and it would be totally awesome. I can moderate and declare winners. I haven't fallen yet, but I'll do that many times as I'm going skiing for the first time in eight years. Oh, well. So... Uh, our condolences to you, Kadavin. You've probably fallen um, by the time I read that review. <laughs> or maybe you haven't. <laughs> maybe you successfully, successfully fell down the mountain on two pieces of wood. I'm going to uh, read this other one because it's uh, it's kind of long. It's longer maybe than I usually would, but um, it's, I don't know, it's sort of a sweet story about someone who left us and came back to us. So um, it's a five-star review from uh Quixotic neutral instead of chaotic neutral. Uh, when one plus one plus one equals ten. Um, I started listening to this podcast during the last season of Game of Thrones when my voracious appetite for Game of Thrones content knew no bounds. After the season finale, I was left not only with a Game of Thrones shaped hole in my life, but also a storm of spoilers and Castle King shaped hole in my life as well. I knew that the podcast would continue, but for some reason I thought it was going to be exclusively about tremors. Um, so I apologize. This is me, Joanna speaking. I apologize to all of our listeners. Tremors every week. 
right. now I want to uh, do that. <laughs> uh, our review continues. Having never seen that movie and possessing no desire to rectify the situation, I bid the podcast adieu until 2019. But a few weeks ago, I checked back just to see if there were any Game of Thrones update episodes and saw that there was an entire episode devoted to Michael Schur. Needless to say, I downloaded it immediately and have since been working my way through all the off-season tour. Listening to whatever episode strikes my fancy at the time, this makes the poll results very confusing, but I regret nothing, uh, except for that gambit from the cartoons didn't win. I'm only halfway through this review. It's very long and so nice. And there's a whole part, there's a whole middle section about earlier this year when I lost my voice and how you guys missed me. And then I came back and we were all a whole family again. Um, and I will, I will end the review this way. It says, um, I don't know how, how anyone can achieve all of this via podcast and the internet, but you do. It's magic, I tell you. The most delightful sort of magic. P.S. Speaking of magic, I would like to know this. If you could live in an imagined world that is magic, which world would it be? Harry Potter, Name of the Wind, Game of Thrones, Lightbringer series, Matilda, etc. Thinking of the world itself and the rules of magic there, not a particular character situation. P.P.S. Dave's answer to the first question, irrational fear questions, still make me laugh every time I think of them. So, Thank you for that beautiful, long, lovely review. Thank you for coming back to us. I'm glad we got you back. Stay tuned for Jurassic World 2 when (laughs) in the trailer has dinosaurs falling into water. It's going to be super fun. Um, And I did want to say one thing really quickly. We forgot to do Don't Fall Down um, in 2018 in memoriam for February. That's my fault. I forgot to. Oh, we were going to do it this week. No, it's already March. I thought we were going to do it last week. Well, it's we were going to record this episode in February. Oh. Um, That's what happened. It's nobody's fault but time. Anyway. <laughs> Point being, please keep us updated with your falls. Um, <laughs> as you might have heard, I fell down. So I'm out. And uh, we will do a more elaborate ceremony this month. Oh, oh and, I uh, was going to tell the story about how I almost got it. I was almost out. Yeah, yeah. Happened, Neil? I, I almost fell in the shower the other day. <laughs> Ooh. No. Yeah, that would have been bad. I yeah. yeah, I was just like turning around in the shower and one of my feet just gave out and I almost almost went down, but oh luckily God. uh luckily I have excellent balance. Oh, All right. I stuck oh, the landing. And Harry Potter World to answer that reviewer's question. Oh, um, it would be magical. Phil Pullman. Oh, that's good too. Wait, it has to be magical. Uh, I feel like mine would be something very futuristic, like uh, the world of tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, but like a good version. I guess that, that counts as magic, right? <sighs> yeah, it would have to be something clean. I don't like dirty things. I like indoor plumbing, so it's like Game of Thrones out. Harry Potter can't be sure out. What about L- Lord uh, of the Rings out? Baum's uh, oh, Land of Oz. Ooh. Maybe. I, I, I don't think they have um, what Neil's looking for. They don't have Indo- plumbing? Indoor plumbing. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I have a lot more questions. What questions do you have? Like, Strawman and Tinman don't need indoor plumbing. Yeah, uh, There like- are munchkins <laughs> who have an entire town, and if they're just dumping their waste out of the window onto the yellow brick road, I guess that's the only new movie canon, not necessarily <laughs> book canon. But what, how do you think it got yellow? I mean... Oh, oh, gross. Um, <laughs> gross and weird. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I could do it because like most fantasy magical worlds are set in the equivalent of the time when humans only live to be like 30. <laughs> so I'm 
I want to go to the future where people live longer and stuff. Science is good. So, right. so like the Jetsons where you live forever, yeah. but you get fired every month? Shit, I would live so hard in the Jetsons. <laughs> anyway. Well, I feel like that's past, present, future magic worlds. Dave wants to live in the present. I kind of want to live in the past. And Neil wants to live in the future. And that's the uh, Rorschach test of that question. Uh, yeah, that makes it. sense. Yeah. Um, also, I wanted to make a quick comment. Oh, no, I'll, I'll wait till it's my segment. Or is it my segment now? Yes. Excellent. Uh, the person who suggested we have a binge mode crossover podcast, that is uh, something we've been hearing a lot about since the Con of Thrones announcement went out that both of our shows are going to be there. Um, what, both of our shows are going to be there? Yeah, both of our shows are going to be at Con of Thrones. It's crazy. Both binge mode and storm spoilers at the same convention? Yeah, I'm not saying that this idea is gaining traction with um, anyone else, but our listeners seem to be into it. Um so, you know, I don't know. You never know. Anyway, uh, so time for things we talked about already. Uh, I have uh, only one Con of Thrones update in that I grow closer by the day to acquiring a Game of Thrones onesie. So just throwing that out there. Yes. I had completely <laughs> forgotten about that sort of non-plan plan. Game it's of great. Thronesies. Um, Game of Thronesies. <laughs> Neil, how active is this, like, pursuit of onesie? Oh, it's pretty active. I mean, as active as I do anything, I guess. Like, are you saying the check's in the mail already? or like? What? I'm saying I've got a couple candidates, and as soon as I narrow down the exact one I want, uh, I got a credit card, so I'm I can make it worried. happen. This is going to take you months. All no, right. no way. If I, I'm just out there searching for a better house Martell onesie, and I know I can find one. Um, so we'll see. Anyway. Ooh, maybe I could pair, like, a white onesie footed pajama with a wolf mask no i'm just making it creepy aren't i i don't know that actually sounds kind of fun <laughs> yes um although i i hope they're still taking um con of thrones suggestions because uh game of thronesies sounds like the best panel <laughs> anyway uh, a couple of their game of thrones related things uh some i don't know mild spoilers for season eight potentially um I'll try and keep it light. Uh, but the first was that Maisie Williams went on uh, Jimmy Kimmel's show, I think last week or this week, some point. I don't know. And the only real thing that she said, other than the fact that she showed her mom her script, which somebody like, can we like buy Maisie Williams' mom a drink or something? Um, let's get her to get her to spill beans. Anyway, she also sort of uh, dismissed the whole multiple endings theory which uh, has been out there for a while that, that Game of Thrones is filming multiple endings for multiple characters and you know they're just going to film a bunch of extra stuff to confuse people. Um, which I don't... Did we ever think that that was true? Well, so here's, the, here's my messed up relationship <laughs> with like off-season commentary in Game of Thrones. I didn't think it was true before, but now that Maisie Williams says it isn't true, now I think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> that actually, if someone's listened to our show uh, long enough, makes total sense. <laughs> right? <laughs> Maisie Williams loves to lie in the off season. So like her being like, that's not true. When like, that was a thing that HBO said. It wasn't a thing that leaked. And she, why would she contradict them? I don't know. I, uh, Unless, unless she's like, well, they can't fire me now, so f it. It's true. They're like, <laughs> they're like halfway done shooting. I don't know. I feel um, like I'm five layers too deep on this. 
Aren't we what all? What do you think, Dave? What do you think, Dave? I mean, uh, I, I don't. I, they probably didn't shoot extra endings, but if like we were talking about last week with certain set photos, it wouldn't surprise me if they're trying to like head fake us into thinking they're shooting multiple endings. I mean, which mm. they already. They already did like fake filming last year. So maybe they so, know that people like Joanna would think that if Maisie Williams says something's not true, that it is true. So they were like, send Maisie out there to say that it's not true so that everyone believes that it is true, even though it's not true. I have to say, if HBO wanted to come up with a strategy, the number one strategy to get me to believe something from them about Game of Thrones, have Maisie Williams go say it the opposite on a talk show. That's fair. I mean, I think the best way is to set up something where any actor could say anything and it uh, could possibly be true given the information that they know is out there. Right. So It's like all the times that they take them to Comic-Con um, and then give them their scripts like the week after Comic-Con so that they can go to Comic-Con and say like, I haven't seen my scripts yet. <laughs> and they like walk out of Hall H and they hand them their scripts, you know, like it's plausible deniability. Yeah, like, like Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, oh, I have more stuff. Sorry. Oh yeah, I was just I was wrapped up in this I this uh, this logical loop about Maisie Williams lying and Joanna believing it and. Sorry. But maybe Joanna's figured it out. Um, all I see is that Zach Galifianakis gif with all the math from The Hangover. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Okay, so there's a couple of set-related things. One is that they are filming a lot of uh, dead bodies outside of the Winterfell set, which uh, is for what they what is now believed to be some sort of mid-season battle. Um, don't really have any more information than that. Don't know who those bodies are or if they are decayed or if they were human when they died. But uh, I'm sure we'll find out. Also, they the production has returned to uh, Magramore Quarry in Ireland, which is where they normally shoot Castle Black stuff. But they do not appear to be shooting at Castle Black so much as erecting a massive green screen that is large. Like, it would be big for, like, an Avengers movie. So it's massive for Game of Thrones. So uh, big-ass green screens. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, so that's uh that's pretty much all we learned this week about Game of Thrones. I don't there could be other stuff, but uh you know, nothing big. Nothing huge. Maisie Williams out there just messing up our lives. <laughs> just, just, yeah. just send, tearing out our hearts. In, sending me into a spiral. Yes. Yeah. She was she was on the show because New Mutants was supposed to be close to coming out, right? Um and then they pushed that back a year to add a mutant into it. Oh, is that what's happening? Oh, yeah. Did you guys not hear about that? No. Yeah, I did hear about that. Yeah, yeah. They're adding a whole other character. I don't follow popular culture. <laughs> they, they pushed the uh, horror X-Men movie back to add an entire new character to the movie, which I don't know if that's been done before. It depends how substance, substantial the new character like, is. I honest about it before. <laughs> right. You know? It's like, like we just need someone just completely new. Just, yeah, you could just say reshoots, but to say like... For an entire like new character, then it gets disconcerting. Anyway, um, yeah, promoting a movie like same with the whole cast of Heather's on Paramount, which was supposed to come out uh, and has now been pushed for uh, specious reasons. So. Oh, are they all doing 
they all doing press anyway? Well, they already did their press. Because <laughs> it's because um, Heather's is terrible for our political moment, and that was before there was a mass shooting. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's the only way to explain that. <sighs> okay, that's it. That's all for my segment. Let's move on to other stuff. All right. It is time for Junkin' Dunkin' Junkin' Dones time. It is Junkin' Dones time down in the Star Wars spoilers. We're going to be talking about the films of Duncan Jones in this first section, not including Mute. So that would be his debut feature, Moon, Source Code about Jake Gyllenhaal, and Warcraft about absolutely nothing. Um, not to... Uh, do we want to give away spoilers for any of these? I guess... Both both Moon and Source Code have twists, I would say. Like I said, Warcraft is about nothing, so it's unspoilable. Um, <laughs> but I guess we'll we'll tread softly around around spoilers, unless you think. I don't that, know. These movies are years old at this point. That's true. I guess the thing is, uh, Moon. If you haven't seen it, uh, just went up on Netflix the day that we're recording it. So you have an opportunity to be have your interest peaked by this podcast. Um, but I guess at some point we're going to talk about a moon aspect to mute anyway. So maybe we should just embrace our name and say, yeah, uh, it, these, it, these movies it actually, exist. Um, it would be very hard to it, source code. I think you could talk about without really revealing sort of what the twist is. Cause I actually don't remember the entire twist to source code. Um, but moon, I don't think you could, I don't think you could talk about it without talking about, um, the multi theory of Sam Rockwell. Like there's just no way around like, it. Blurred out the ending of Source Code right now. What right, is let's... I forget the ending of Source Code. It's he's he's uh he's like in a simulation or something, right? Yeah, but like well yes, it's a simulation, but then you find out it's like he's in a coma. So it's like Right, and like like only like a third of his body is a lot is around yeah. anymore. Yeah. Poor Jake Gyllenhaal. The only here's the only thing I remember about Source Code that's significant is that when that movie premiered at South by Southwest, which is next week, so this is uh, relevant. Um, the line to see it was like six blocks long. It was one of the most intense lines I've ever seen. And then after the movie, Jake Gyllenhaal went to the bathroom, and yeah, some dude tried to was like filming Jake Gyllenhaal while he was going to the bathroom at one of the urinals, and Jake Gyllenhaal almost kicked the shit out of him. So. The rest of whatever that movie is about, sort of irrelevant to that experience. <laughs> I mean, I guess the only there is a twist in source code, and it is more science fictiony. It is more like Moon and what Mute attempts to do than the standout of Warcraft, which, as I said before, has no twists. Yeah, uh, it's because- um. Here's the interesting thing about Warcraft: I've never seen it. It's on multiple streaming services that I have access to. I've had all week to think about it, and uh, decided today that I just wasn't going to wasn't going to watch it because I don't. This, for two reasons: one, it's about nothing, uh, says said said a wise man once, and uh, two, I this episode feels like we should celebrate that Duncan Jones is part of a pretty good little run of sci-fi that we're having, and. Um, I feel like if we just focus on Moon and Source Code, we'll be fine. Yeah, well, in that case, let me get some things out of, War- of Warcraft out of the way, because I feel like I watched it, so I get to. Um, 
I get, I'm a fan of the series, especially the fact that uh, this was going to take from the lore of the first game uh, leading into the second game, so Warcraft, Orcs, and Humans, and uh, they had a script that was uh, featured a human lead and was all about the humans discovering the orcs and blah, blah, blah. Duncan Jones came in and being a lover of the lore decided... Why not share the hero narrative between the orcs and the humans? So we're bouncing back and forth. So we have the, he didn't, I don't know if he said Game of Thrones like level detail, but I'm sure there was somebody who was producing it that was asking him for that level of complexity. Because what you have is a situation where there's a faction of orcs that are realizing that the orc leader is sort of evil. And then the humans also realize there's like a really powerful mole in their faction. And the grunts are fighting each other. Meanwhile, not realizing that the higher ups are having these debates about whether or not to use this dangerous type of magic uh it doesn't scale uh like a epic fantasy series uh just because the cgi is good and it is really good in terms of uh mapping people onto orc faces uh you don't eventually you're just you know the movie gets to a point where you're not thinking about it anymore uh, I wish it was because it was thrilling, but I, I think it's just because the special effects are good enough that you're not stuck in an uncanny valley. It might also be because one of the characters who's a half-breed between orcs and humans is just a woman of color painted green, which isn't a great look, uh, and they try to like feature her so as to make her not necessarily this side uh, prop character. But as I think we can discuss later on in this episode, I'm not sure if Duncan Jones knows how female think females think or necessarily how to portray that uh, even from human to human. So this like half orc uh, lady that's caught between worlds ends up becoming like the boring center to a conflict I tried to describe to you. And the movie goes on for slightly over two hours. Uh, I like the lore of the video games. I can't believe I like didn't care about the characters. But, you know, good thing it ends on a cliffhanger because Warcraft 2 could possibly come. And then we could see the Alliance. Uh, the people who know what I'm talking about, <laughs> that movie was for you. Just not me. Oh, it's not me either. I'm yeah. uh, basically what I heard there was they should have made this like a Netflix series <laughs> instead of a movie. That would have been great if they could have gotten the budget to do that thing and really dig into the character aspects of it. And then maybe shot it in some way where it felt like the characters that were really there were in the same room at the same time. Uh, poor, like basically everybody except, uh, or two members of the preacher cast are stuck in this movie. And you just feel bad for both of them because you know they're capable of acting like nonsensical things and they just can't squeeze anything out of the lore of Warcraft. And then also to have a Ben, it's Ben Foster, right? In the movie yeah. and just like give him a character who half of his lines are chanting in another language because the way they use him in a scene is he needs to keep the chant going to keep the portal opening. So you just have him wandering through scenes where other people are doing things, keeping a chant going. And it's like, why are you wasting the one person who might be able to emote you out of this movie? It's a, uh, it's very interesting. Warcraft, maybe don't watch it. <laughs> All right. Man, this well, is like two weeks following. in a row we've had long, deep 
Deep Dave Dives. I love Deep Dave Dives. Um, maybe, um, nope, that's it. That's all I got on Warcraft. I think I was going to like defend it, but why should, should I? We, so? Should we discuss our feelings about Moon? We've been uh, we've been discussing it a little bit in the chat all day. Um, Moon, obviously Duncan Jones' first film, his breakout hit, uh, a very well-crafted uh, sci-fi film with uh, use of miniatures and multiple Sam Rockwells. I think that their decision to uh, save money building sets and using miniatures so they could clone Sam Rockwell was Brilliant. really what Real put this movie craft. over the yep. edge. Yep. Um, but I know I really like Moon. And, um, you know, we talked earlier today about uh, it, it is one of those movies you revisit and you're like, oh shit, Kevin Spacey's voice is in this movie. Um, and I haven't watched it in a while, so I hadn't really had a chance to decide that. But Joanna, didn't you, didn't you watch it this week? Yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh yeah, Moon! I'll be so excited. Like, I'm I'm having complicated Sam Rockwell feelings right now because um, I think he's going to win the Oscar for the wrong film role, but I like him, so I want to see like, oh, a movie that I just like love Sam Rockwell in. And then I was like, and after watching Mute, I was like, eh, and a movie that Duncan Jones that I really like, yes, <laughs> great. And then it's like less than one minute in, I was like, oh. Fuck, Kevin Spacey's here. Fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that sort of b- really bummed me out. Um, do you think it bummed you out because it's a su- surprise, Spacey? Or do you think it bummed you out because Kevin Spacey performances are that toxic? Because I could, like, I, I'm not in a rush to watch American Beauty, but knowing that, you know, he's the lead in that kind of, like, helps me sidestep it. So, like, I know, like, no usual suspects. Uh, no American Beauty, no K Pax. God, I'm gonna miss K Pax. But like, <laughs> can is knowing now that we've warned people that Kevin Spacey's voice is in this movie, do you think it's still polluting it? Yes, I do. But I also hear what you're saying. Um, but, but I will I will say this. I remember the first time I watched Moon. And the robot started speaking and I was nothing but like happy and smug that I, cause I didn't know Kevin Spacey was in it. And so I was like, Oh, Hey, that's the voice of Kevin Spacey. I can tell cause I know things. Um, that was my whole, and, and, Oh, I like him. That's going to be great. And then this time I was like, Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Who like Kevin Spacey in here? Uh, so that's my complicated separating the artist from the Kevin artist. Spacey <laughs> lets himself in Joanna. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> I gotta be honest. It's been tough. It's been it, it's a it's a tough it's a tough one for me because there are movies that like uh, like every Woody Allen movie is easy for me to ignore because I don't like any of them that much. Like I didn't like them that much to begin with, and I don't care to revisit them and whatever. Um, but uh, there are some Kevin Spacey movies that I like, and I like House Cards, and I don't know if I'm gonna revisit them. But um, I think, I don't know. I Moon, this is one thing I said uh, before we uh, jumped on the old pod. Um, but Moon is one of those where it's like, I think I could still enjoy that movie. Because um, it, he's not on screen. It's just a voice. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I'll have to watch it again and see what uh, how my feelings are when I'm actually sitting there watching it. Um, but I think I like Moon enough to where it actually is harder than, say, ignoring, uh, you know, Woody Allen movies. Yeah, but I mean, I 
if people haven't seen Moon, it's definitely, I, I think, a film worth watching. Um, and I'm sorry if if we ruined the possibility that you might watch it and not recognize Kevin Spacey's voice and not get weirded out by it. Um, uh, it would be really tough, though. It's that he has one of those voices. I don't know if you could like go through it and be like, I didn't notice anything. Nothing but, out of place uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really one thing that I was sort of looking back at. You know, like when when a when a director has a film that's so good, and then everything they do after that sort of is diminishing returns, which I think might be the case with Duncan Jones. Like, I think we were hoping that Mute would be a sort of a, a return to form. It's like, oh, he did Moon. He's going to do Mute. They'll they'll be like sort of similar. Like he's he shouldn't have done Source Code and he shouldn't have done Warcraft because they're, you know, too mainstream or whatever. He should go back to this weird other thing. But Mute is then also off course. And so then I'm like, okay, so what was special about Moon outside of him? Like if if we've been attributing like all of the good of moon to basically Duncan Jones and, you know, Sam Rockwell, the decision cast Sam Rockwell. So then I, lo- I, I just saw that like he had a co-writer some, um, on moon and th- that person has not worked on any project since. So I'm like, okay, well maybe the co-writer, you know, like Duncan Jones does have a visual style, but maybe grapples the story a bit. And maybe that co-writer is what like kept moon on course um, that was my sort of best idea of what of the whole trajectory there. Yeah, I don't know. I I guess you know we're obviously going to shift into talking about mute at some point, um, but I think that uh, it is important to note when you go into mute that it is a movie that's been in development f- for a long time, and it is a movie that he wrote around the same time as Moon. So I do think there's a potential that we're expecting him to evolve. We're expecting him to get better uh, as a filmmaker as he goes on. But this movie was sort of put in cryo sleep since uh, since Moon. So I don't nice like maybe that's um, maybe that's why. Um, yeah, does that well, make any sense? I mean, yeah, I don't want to make any enemies of our listeners who are also huge Edgar Wright fans. We all know that I'm an Edgar Wright fan, but um, that's kind of how I felt about Baby Driver. Is like. Baby Driver was Edgar Wright's first like idea for a movie, and I think it's. I mean, he he would not have had like the the technical proficiency probably to carry it off his first movie. But I'm like, yeah, that's a first movie concept. But Edgar Wright, you've been doing like all these other movies since, and it, it just felt like it didn't feel like forward momentum. Anyway, sorry to get off on an Edgar Wright tangent. That's <laughs> well, that's how I. That's how I feel about Duncan Jones too. It, like it doesn't feel like a forward growth momentum, and mute does feel uh, reg- regressive, simplistic. You know. Um. So, are you saying that Moon is Duncan Jones' best movie? Without a doubt. Hmm. I feel like I'm gonna have to revisit Dave. Uh. What? What? What do you think? Um. I like Moon. And then I see the source code was also part of like a small resurgence in science fiction because that was also the spring of uh, Limitless. And so there were two movies that were sort of on the scene that were like middle budget science fiction that I could like get behind. So I'm not going to, I definitely revisit parts of Moon um, and we'll be revisiting it this week, probably just to test my Kevin Spacey gag reflex. Um, but at source code, I don't want to knock source code because it was fun and it's the kind of movie that I want to have in theaters. 
um, in theaters specifically. Uh, I don't. I think if it would have been like a weird Netflix movie, it maybe wouldn't uh, have satisfied me a, a lot. But I'm, I'm into you know weird mid-budget sci-fi that comes out in the spring. It's good. I just don't know if uh, it's as revisitable as Moon. Man. So is that a is that a good way to not choose anything? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is. Although it is interesting uh, that you mentioned that because. I think that uh, the in theaters thing is is interesting because what we're seeing now is like during around when source code came out and then we had limitless and before that we had cloverfield uh we now see that just that type of movie is just going to be a Netflix movie now which I think is that is a little sad like pour one out for the mid budget mm-hmm. sci-fi movies that um although as we discussed did we discuss this on the podcast I have no idea I can't remember um, Annihilation would have killed if it opened at like South by Southwest or at a film festival. Uh, that's something I that's something I tweeted. Yes, Joanna, you tweeted this, and I agree wholeheartedly. Um, yeah. that it the the problem one of the problems with Annihilation, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some other point in the future, is that uh, I don't know, maybe the maybe the right audience didn't see it the first time. Whoo, hot take. Um. <laughs> But this is about mute. We should should we talk about mute now? Do we have any other thoughts on the Duncan Jones's pre pre mute life? Um, back to that. Well, I think I, you know I haven't seen Warcraft, but uh, I I've been told by Dave that nothing happens in it. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, uh, Duncan Jones is a little like. Um, Nolany and Shyamalani, he likes his twists, you know? And um, I think the moon one is the only one that's really landed. Source code was like, I roll bad, I thought. And then this one is not like, it's not a hard twist. It's an, it's a noir reveal um, in, in mute. I mean, but moon is moon is the like concept The you can just, the concept of moon is the best thing that Duncan Jones has done. You know. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, having not revisited it, I don't fully stand behind this. But when I first saw it, I remember the craftsmanship of that movie was just really impressive with how much he did with how little he had. So I think you know, you movies like that sometimes you give, yeah, you almost give them a little more critical room. Sometimes it's weird to admit uh, publicly where people can hear it, but you do because you know he he did it for nothing almost and he made this really cool movie set on the moon and uh i think that's that's worth you 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 can't get that with every movie like he he got a bigger budget with source code so he had to deliver something else you know yeah yeah, yeah. all right what do you think, dave what what no i'm in i'm into all that let's dive into let's dive into mute so we could talk about how and when this this went wrong um, do you want me to give a recap or do you want to give a recap? Uh, you could give a recap. I feel like I, uh, bore the burden of, of Warcraft and therefore get to uh, rest okay. for 30 years. <laughs> Here's a few things you need to know. We've got, um, Alexander Sarsgaard playing our mute hero. He's a film noir hero. He's a brooding Quaker bartender, futuristic. Okay. Sorry. He's Amish. Oh, <laughs> it's the Amish. Okay. Yeah. Every time I start like saying something about mute, it's crazy. All right. Um, 
So, <laughs> let me. So we've got our like private eye figure. That's Alexander Skarsgård. We've got a couple like colorful side characters played by um, Paul Rudd and Justin Thoreau. Um, they they play some these shady doctors and colorful is a generous way to describe Justin Thoreau's character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not okay. Yeah, that's not what I meant. Um, um, it's colorful yeah. until the twist. It's not okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, <laughs> Um, and then we've got just a standard noir plot where like this, this guy, this brooding guy, his dame goes missing. He has to find her through many circles of the underworld, bouncing back and forth between brothels and clubs and roughing up these gangsters and those. And, um, there's a twist, (laughs) uh, in terms of how everyone's all related and, uh, the, the world is, is a very Blade Runner-esque futuristic world. And, um, that's mute. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes. It's like uh, so. It's one part. It's one part noir, and then the yeah. doctors are in Mash the movie until the two things squish up but, against each other. Uh, now I just want Mash the movie with Justin Thoreau and Paul Rudd. <laughs> you get without, it. You get it for the, just an hour of this movie <laughs> without the really dark underpinnings. Like now, like can we? We can't prequel those guys. I don't want the Kabul years of, of those guys. All right. <laughs> um, I mean, my first thought about Mute is shout out to the Amish for making it yeah, that far making into the future. It, make it into the future. I did not think their lifestyle was going to last that long. Um, eventually, everyone has to get a cell phone. Um, but but uh, that is one of the things I liked about this movie. Not the Amish thing, but Alexander Skarsgård. I thought his performance very expressive, very interesting. I don't know if I've been as interested in him uh, in a movie in a while. He's sort of a blandish kind of guy. I don't know. Is he bland? Maybe he's a little bland. Um, really, you sound, the- you sound like somebody that didn't watch every episode of True Blood. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he said film. I was gonna like because no film. I mean, um, oh, oh yeah, they're he's not. He's not bland in True Blood, and he's not bland in um, you know, Big Little Lies. Oh, see, now that I'm looking back over his IMDb, I realize that I may be wrong because uh, there was a 2016 movie called War on Everyone where he was great. Yes, and he was also a movie. Yes. Yep, it was also he was also great in The Diary of a Teenage Girl, although yeah. significantly overshadowed by uh, the girl in that movie who was just great. Um, so, so maybe I shouldn't have been saying, as surprised all, about his great performance saying, in this movie. All you're saying is that Tarzan is um, real outlier. Bland, yeah, bland. All right, um. B- bouncing out of Tarzan, Skarsgård delivers an amazing performance. <laughs> well, that's I, I was talking about it earlier today. Where oh, uh, and Battleship. Sorry, Battleship. Mm. Oh, I blame Taylor Kitsch for that. All right, so um, what I was gonna say is I'm used to. Watching Alexander Skarsgård played very like sexually confident predatory people, um, and so to watch him like not only have no words to express himself in the film, but also just like playing yeah he's he's physical but like he's um, you know a, a, a more passive figure and that I I was really impressed by that. There's just something That's about um, like wearing suspenders that makes you instantly look like an 80 year old man, even if you're and pa- tall and, and handsome pants, and your pants too high. Right. Well, cause the suspenders, 
hold them yeah. up properly. That's where this will be Elmish style. Yeah, like there's this constant battle uh, from age like eight to twenty five between me and my mother as to where you're supposed to wear your pants. And um, according to Alexander Skarsgård, she was right and I was wrong. <laughs> In the future, Neil's mother. Is right. <laughs> oh, I, I did like some of the technology, though. The like, well, actually, no. I, I have I have a quibble with that. I like the concept that your phone is just like a weird pendant you wear, I guess. Um, and and you can just like be in a call at any given moment. Like that's. I don't mind there being no like alert sound, but I feel like in one scene when someone was on one of those like wireless cell, like just breaks into another conversation, their ear was glowing. Um, but every time Paul Rudd did it, it wasn't. And so it was, it just uh, looked like he started talking to himself. <laughs> yeah. Which was sort of like kind of the point of it is supposed to be jarring, but I was like, I need some physical indication on this person for this technology to be believable and not just look like someone in an improv class. I need like some sort of code, you know, signifier anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I did from a world building standpoint. I really I enjoy mute. I think, um, although it's funny because we've been staring at the same piece of concept art about mute for like six years. It feels like maybe longer, and it feels like they just built what was in that concept art. And there's not a whole there's not an expansion of the world. Um, mm. So it felt it felt small, I guess, from a scale standpoint. But also, it's a Netflix movie, so I don't know how much it cost. Um, so yeah, so there was like a smallness to it. I just, I don't know. There was just something, uh, something weird about the like the rhythm of this movie. I guess before um, Dave goes off on a very illuminating film noir tangent. Um, I just want to say that I think the design of the film is amazing. I really, I like, I agree with you, Neil, that it kind of feels like everything takes place in a three block radius. Like the brothel is across the street from the club. That's, you know, around the corner. From yeah. And it's whatever. like down the street from the house. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, I, I agree with you, but like all the concept, like the drone, the food drones and the like uh, various ways in which um, we interact with technology these days. Though like, uh, I mean, never mind. I'll give him a pass because he's Amish. That whole like looking through the telephone book thing. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> if, if you Although, can figure out her address from like a just an open to the public uh, food delivery drone thing, uh, <laughs> surely you can reverse like lookups. Anyway, um, I, uh, I I will say about the phone book scene. I did appreciate that the the font was ridiculously small because of how many people there were in uh, the future. Uh-huh. So that that was a nice touch, and I feel like that's probably why the only re- the only reason why that scene was in there because somebody came up with that idea, and they were like, "Let's do a phone book, but the text is really small because we have so many people in the future." Um, they could have cut that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Dave. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Noir. Yeah, I know. I'll do that first. I was gonna start being prescriptive, being like, "You could fix this movie real easy, and here's how." But that's not good criticism. That's being an asshole. Um, <laughs> The problem with this movie's tone, I think, is I think you guys were talking about it earlier. Uh, like Moon's like a really good plot for like a first film and Mute is like a really good idea for like a second film because it has all these hooks where when you see them on paper, you're like, yes, I want to see the guys from MASH and a mute Amish guy who has to figure his way through technology and live this noir story plot line. The problem is um, that the 
goes sort of into the future hyper masculinity part uh, of a uh, future dystopia while attempting to still like live on the fact that it's doing noir and American noir in the early 20th century was about men and women who survived one of the world wars, uh, like trying to figure out how to yell trauma at each other, but be unable to hear it through their own personal trauma. Men went away, saw some horrible shit came back and didn't recognize the traumatized women who had stepped forward in so many ways in World War II, especially uh, to take over industry, to take over the home, to build, which would eventually, you know, get like muted into suburban living. But either way, that's completely different from how they started off the 20th century in terms of sex relations. And so you have hard drinking, you know, detective who, you know, thinks has created an object that makes him feel better in a woman who also has a problem that she's trying to express, but it's expressing it poorly. And that's the sort of plot line that happens when good noir collides together. What mute does is it leads into a lot of hyper masculinity um, with uh, just the, the build of Skarsgård versus the like his character or his uh, love interest whose name I don't even remember because that's how unimportant she is the fact that she's unimportant and then the um, twist with uh, Thoreau's character which I won't really go into but which is serves to re-damsel the, like the only other female character uh, after we've uh, figured out the horrible uh, not exactly fridging of the previous woman because she's beside the fridge. Wow. Hilarious. Um, uh, so it's just, it's a shot that's an attempt to do something, but in putting all together these uh, different pieces of cool ideas and hooks that would get people, the hooks that are honestly enough to stand up its own film. What I was talking about with prescriptive criticism is like Amish guy in the future loses his girlfriend and has to discover this world building of technology that we, the viewer are also discovering along with him is where I thought this was going when he got the phone. The thing is, is then he immediately goes back and does the fucking phone book thing. And by the time we're there, we're like halfway into caring about the doctors more than we care about him. So what ends up happening is the choice to make this guy closed off on technology. So he could potentially discover things for the audience becomes painfully obvious that it is solely about keeping a character away from Googling the end of the mystery, which presumably would be easy in this like future that we see with a guy playing electronic glowing eye game uh, and phones that are on pendants or in your ear or whatever. So it becomes a plot contrivance rather than something that's motivating character motion forward. And that kind of happens with every character, uh, Paul Rudd's character is like super charming, but is forced into this twist. And what it does is it doesn't make you suddenly think about him as more complex. It just suddenly makes you realize he's the asshole 
that like you were always on the border of thinking about him in because it's like he shows up he's kind of assholey but in a lovable way and he moves along and then he figures out something about the rose character and he reacts somewhat appropriately so you're like maybe this guy isn't the asshole and then right as ron roy out of it it just doubles down on this uh plot twist that it's like trying to pull from chinatown or something who the fuck knows and it uh like perverts it twists us back against the paul rudd character in time for the showdown but the point being is we just spent the whole second act where he was the protagonist in the movie because we had no idea that he had this you know secret it's just it's such a weirdly paced film that could have used like three more drafts to like yank all its ideas together and i think we just like overhyped it as a follow-up in the moon universe uh, that Duncan Jones would totally get to when he was done with his other uh, one for them, one for himself projects. And it stagnated it during that process and didn't grow. And so when Netflix came along and it's like, here's the money to do that script, uh, someone took that as in that's do that script, uh, which I think is going to end up being uh, a mistake in how we remember Mute. Um monologue Damn. episode you kind of nailed it though yeah i mean I, I i'm trying to compare it a little bit to brick i mean the you know the, the blade runner 2049 comparison is pretty easy uh unfortunately for duncan jones who i think like you know wanted to make this long before uh there was gonna be a new <laughs> blade runner he's like here's my spiritual sequel to the blade runner that comes out the same year as the actual sequel to blade runner let's unfortunate timing um but um i don't know i i I lost my train of thought (laughs) well i mean blade blade runner sort of ends up being noir by the back uh, part of it but the reason why i'm not worried about blade runner treating its women characters badly is because the theme of blade runner is how we treat people who we regard as lesser than badly so that seems fine this one, it's like the guy's running prostitutes on the side to a geisha lost character because it's a movie that involves prostitutes. Like, that's as far as we need to go. We need to move on to a different step of the movie. He needs to have this thing that he could convey on a piece of paper to hold over another character. It's a, it's a puzzle piece. It's not a thematic piece. I'm not sure what the thematic point of Mute is as much as it is to have all these, like, fun character archetypes bounce off each other. Sadly, they're all just male character archetypes. Yeah. It's interesting, because uh, we talked about this in the last segment about Warcraft. Um, I'm torn between the idea that this would have worked better as a, like a limited series, or they just needed to cut a bunch of stuff out. <laughs> like, you know... <laughs> I mean, the, uh, there is a lot of cool stuff. And the, the fact that he could fit the stuff about food delivery and all that stuff into this story that really has no place for it is kind of amazing. It makes me think that, like, the fact that this is in the same place with the universe that Moon takes place in means that, like, the world's being built with interesting technology. Like, we obviously know that, like, cloning exists, but that doesn't have anything to do with this universe So if this ends up being like the forgettable piece in a larger sci-fi universe, I'm not opposed to Duncan Jones not telling stories in this universe as much as like I'm opposed to him not having a full grasp of the story or what type of story he's telling in this universe. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, I wish uh, he'd come on the podcast. 
I tweeted at you, man. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... um. We've never berated a filmmaker with spoilers for their own movie before. And that's oh, a good gosh. point. Um, <laughs> it is, it's, I think it's a... I like the world. Like, I wanted to be in that world. And I liked some of the characters. It's like... For me, it's almost like he went like half Terry Gilliam, but not full Terry Gilliam. Like, if if you think of like um, the Thoreau and Paul Rudd characters, like they should have just been like a little bit more grotesque, you know, the whole time. Um, And like, and so then it just feels like a, oh God, I'm about to say muted, a muted version. um, (laughs) A less loud version. Uh, of a um, a diluted version of a um, like a wild Terry Gilliam sort of sci-fi thing. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Interesting, interesting little film mute. Here's um, the here's the big question. Um, yeah. It, so we've now seen two movies. Uh, obviously, they exist in the same universe. Would you want to see Duncan Jones try and go make a different story in this same world? Yes. Yeah, because allegedly this is a trilogy. Yeah, okay. So, so are you are you still stoked on I'm, the third film? I, I I don't I'm less stoked than I was before I saw mute. But I would I'm still like, yes, I will definitely watch it. Like and probably right when it comes out. Just to be like, Oh, did he get back to nailing it or what? You know? Um yeah. I think I'm equally as stoked because Moon was more of like a background thing to mute, which means the third one could still be something completely great and not necessarily be tied to what brings mute down. It's just like, it's not Cloverfield crazy, but it is almost anthology crazy, which can be really powerful if you use it. Uh, yeah. Well. Uh, that's a good point. Cause I, you know, I guess the nice thing about whatever he does for the third movie is it's not weighed down by the other two. Right. Yeah, presumably. Which wouldn't Unless be the it's... case if, like, if Mute were a slightly better movie, it would have been the same thing with Moon, where it's like, oh, it wasn't really weighed down by the idea that it had to fit into this Moon thing. It's just something happened on TV in the background. Yeah, it's gonna be like um, M Night Shyamalan's Glass. Is it important that you saw the movie you didn't know was a sequel to Unbreakable in order to see the third Unbreakable? <laughs> Find out later <laughs> this year. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> so I mean, like, I'm sorry, I, I brought I, up the third Unbreakable Neil. I, I hope <laughs> that I like. I, I don't know if people who ha- haven't seen Mute would be listening to this section, but like, if they are, like, and they're on the fence, would you say you should watch Mute or you shouldn't watch Mute? I think I think it's. I think you can watch Mute, and I, I think if you are if you like sci-fi or if you like Duncan Jones, those are both completely valid reasons to watch Mute. What I'm worried about is uh, what in my age group was called the Fight Club contingent, where it's uh, dudes who latch on to the wrong parts of movies that are like right on the border of being good or trash, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like... you. The, the point isn't to debate how cool the pedophile is. And as long as we stay out of that range, I think Mute can be a fine, a fine Netflixable movie. Netflix is a good place for it. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I say yes for different reasons, mostly because I think Duncan Jones is still a super interesting filmmaker. And I, he, I feel like he's still got a lot to say. So I think this will be an interesting uh, thing to revisit as a growing pain. 
So, um, you know, even Spielberg has some weird ones in the bag back in the day. So, and in uh, the future, and in the Ready? future, literally, li- literally the least anticipated movie of all time. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Speaking of Simon. Listen- I think some of our listeners are gonna like that movie, so I would like us. Oh to... no, that's fine. That's I hope. Look, I hope they get I everything want, they want. I out want of it. to like that movie. I'm just saying it doesn't look like I'm gonna like that movie. I would love to like Ready Player One. Like it's funny. I feel like now that I'm deep into watching Ready Player One commercials, I understand Joanna's distaste for Zack Snyder more. <laughs> this is like my Zack Snyder. Yeah, it's very Snydery. It's so Snydery. I, I can't believe Spielberg Snyder. And I liked two Zack Snyder movies, so this is a weird I spot. Mean, I know we're in lesser Spielberg, but I'm hoping that's a conscious choice for how stupid this online video game is going to be, and I mean that in world. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. This is like the Spielberg movie that um, all of the lesser Spielberg movies really look like they're going to be for me right before they come out. I'm like, oh, yeah, the BFG. I love that. I love that fucking movie, that book. Let's let's do this. I'm like, oh, yeah, the post. This is the year for the post. I hope it takes takes the stand. And then now I'm like, ready, ready, player one. Yeah, I love popcorn. I love all those. I get all those references. But, you know, we'll see. That's what I'm saying. This is this is the like, I get all those references movies. And I'm just like, ugh. well, that's what the book was. Good for you. You you know what a DeLorean looks like. All right. I I started (laughs) saying we shouldn't go too hard on this movie before we saw it. That's that's, I think, going to be the difference for me is is ready, player one going to have stuff that. I know because it's not classic. Because that was what was kind of cool about the book, is you would have little like video games that not necessarily everybody had played. Uh, but like, I don't know. Everybody knows the DeLorean because Back to the Future is like great. But are we gonna have like Captain Bucky O'Hare in the background? Because that's an Easter egg that I would understand. Oh yeah, I and- forgot. This is Easter egg the movie. Dave will enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I will. Maybe even make some money off a of post about it. Uh, but you know, why not? Yeah. Uh, cool. That's an interesting way to end a topic on mute. <laughs> uh, but why not? Why not take a left turn twist at the end of our discussion about sci-fi? That's very Duncan Jonesy. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, no! The sci-fi was inside us all along. To the sci-fi was the friends no. we made along the way. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> cool, uh, Neil. What are you up to next week? Um, well, speaking of friendships and how they usually end, we are going to have a great debate next week. <laughs> and um, we're swinging for the fences with this one because this is, this is a big topic that uh, we have not yet done with the great debates. I feel like this is probably the most, will be the most anticipated great debate. Um, it's like the Super Bowl of great debates. And uh, I'm I'm very excited to compete, and uh, it's great to be nominated, and uh, uh, it's going to be best and worst remakes. So that'll be fun. That's not yeah. a, it's not a big topic at all. It's, it's huge. The fur will fly. The fur will fly. Um, but I will say for those who are going to write in, because uh, please do. We uh, we always, as we do with great debates, want to hear what you have to say uh, via stormspoilers at gmail dot com. We are talking uh, best and worst remakes, specifically limited to film. 
uh, movies. We're not. Uh, I, I feel like we're we could do a whole TV version of this if we wanted later. Uh, and we're not talking about legacy sequels either. So like long term sequels don't necessarily count. We're talking about straight up remakes where there was one thing and then someone came along and was like, I could do that thing better. Twenty yeah, years later. To con- to contextualize, uh, when you're listening to this episode, uh, something called Death Wish, which is a Bruce Willis gun movie, is in theaters. Maybe won't be for you, but that is definitely a remake of a previous Death Wish. So that's sort of what spurred this off. So we're talking actual remake. I don't think Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man is a remake of uh, Spider-Man, for instance. That's... That's something else. I actually think this is the only way to get people to have even a tangential interest in that Bruce Willis movie. And we're doing the. We're the not Lord's even going to talk work. about it. <laughs> like, it's, none of us are going to go see that Bruce Willis movie. I don't think, and uh, it's not part of this. But we did use it as a small part of inspiration for this. What will be epic? Great debate. Yeah, <laughs> if in if in the you know, Wikipedia listing or the uh, box office Mojar IDB listing there has to have a parentheses whatever year it came out. That's a remake. <laughs> That's actually a good way to, yeah, that makes sense. Death Wish 2018 remake. Cool. Yeah, so that's next week. Join us for that. It'll be fun. Right now, I'm thinking point break, but I'm going to keep thinking about it. Or for best or for worst. I guess we that's giving it away. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the whole debate all week in on Storm of Spoilers Twitter will be. Yeah, I know. Wait, did she mean best or worst with the point did break? Did she comment? mean west of the worst? <laughs> I, I think I have one that could work for either, depending on how we want to argue it. So next week's going to cook, guys. Um, make sure to send in your emails to stormspoilers at gmail.com with your picks for best and worst remakes. Uh, for next week. Until then, where could people find more of your work online? Joanna Robinson, it's awards weekend. Where could people find your stuff? I don't know if you knew this. There's this little shindig that happens after the Oscars on Sunday, and it's hosted by my company, Vanity Fair. So I say we're really into the Oscars. So you will see a lot of Oscar coverage from us over on VanityFair.com. Uh, and then right as soon as all my Oscar coverage is done, I will be on a plane to go hang out with Neil for a while at South by. So yeah. that's what's coming up. Uh, and through all of that, you can find me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. And Mr. Neil Miller. Uh, yeah, you get me over there on the, uh, film school rejects.com where, uh, we have a very, speaking of Oscars, um, we're not, we're not as quite as fancy as vanity fair. We don't have a party or anything, but we have been over the years extremely accurate at predicting the Oscars. In fact, we have had like four straight years where we've gotten over 20 of the 24 categories correct. Uh, Those predictions, by the time you listen to this episode, will be on filmschoolrejects.com. The team worked very hard on them, so check those out. Um, And then, yeah, follow me at Rejects on Twitter, where next week I will be um, making Joanna eat all kinds of terrible food. It'll be fun. Yeah. Ooh, I'm going to follow that on Twitter. <laughs> uh, my name is Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E, where every morning something pisses me off. Uh, and <laughs> until next week, uh, guys, stay vertical. Don't fall down. <laughs> <laughs>